You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. Awesome. Good morning. Yeah, okay. You guys are a little bit more awake at 11 o'clock than 9 o'clock was. Um, man, didn't, can we just give the worship team one more, you know, like just hand clap? Man, applause. Yeah, they did so great this morning. And you guys, you guys sounded so good. I, sometimes, you know, you're wearing headphones and, and can't hear you guys. But man, this morning, you guys singing Hallelujah, Our God Reigns. It was, there was something powerful that was happening in here when you guys were singing. And just thank you for blessing me. Um, is everyone having a good weekend? You guys all, Sunday's going well. Everything's good, right? Yeah? And, I, and most of you are like, uh, yeah, my weekend's been awesome. It's Valentine's Day weekend. Um, and did anyone have a date night between now, um, from Thursday to today? Anyone? Any date nights here? All right. Yeah, us too. Um, or maybe maybe you got like a valentine or a gift or like a, a flower or like, you know, like maybe some chocolates. Anyone out there get some chocolates? Man, some people are dropping the ball. I'm sorry. I had chocolates. had a date. It was awesome. Um, but do you remember in elementary school? When, um, when you had to get a Valentine for everyone in your class. And I remember going to the store and I was trying to find something that was cool, that was meaningful, something that was funny, and it was all rolled up into one Valentine. Oh, and it had to have candy. I was like, yo, put a sucker in that card, mom, in those little holes in that card. And so thinking through the message this week, I realized that we have a whole book in the Bible that is filled with Valentine's poems. We have a book of Valentines from us to God that is called the Book of Psalms. If you're ever wondering how to talk to God or how to share with him a hurt or a pain or maybe even how to share your love for him, going to the Psalms is a great place to begin. And so it's okay if I uh, read this absolutely wonderful Valentine's Day psalm for you guys this morning. Is that all right? I made this Valentine myself. I have great, it's amazing. I hope you guys are impressed. Did this for you and for God. Um, All right, but this is what it says. It says, have mercy on me, O God, um, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Oh, um, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me. Um, from my sin. Okay, so not as lovely as I thought it would be on this Valentine's Day weekend, but let's keep reading. It says, for, oh, for I know my transgressions and my sin, my sin is always before me. And then it says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So some of you are probably thinking, that is the worst Valentine's ever. Like, it's not even a good poem. It doesn't rhyme. But it's okay. I think it's, I think it's getting a little better right here. It says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the, oh, um, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. <laughs> Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. But let's take a moment. Let's listen to this last part. It says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So today we're going to take a moment and we're going to hear a story that we will call The Tale 
of a compromised king. And reading the psalm, this Valentine poem to God, it maybe felt a little bleak, but imagine, imagine if you were the one who wrote it. Imagine if through dust-drenched tears you were sitting there with parchment and ink and spilling out your very soul to God, asking him for forgiveness for all you've done. That's who we're going to be talking about this morning. It's a man we know as King David. Looking at this psalm is like watching a movie that starts with the hero in defeat. You see them down in the mud, or maybe, maybe we see them in grave peril, and then all of a sudden the hero turns to the camera and he goes, you may be wondering how I got here. David is obviously a hero in defeat as he writes this Valentine to God. He is, he's wallowing in his failure. But how did David get here? How did he go from being a mighty king to being in defeat? If you've been tracking with us these past several weeks, like Pastor Ben said, you know that we're in a series called No Perfect People Allowed. We've looked at characters like Adam, who was the guy who kind of started this sin snowball for us all. And we've looked at the deceitful Jacob, who's actually the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, and how he lied in order to seal his brother's blessing and his birthright. And over the past few weeks, we've preached on Moses, the murderer who couldn't control his anger, we talked about Rahab, the prostitute, and her reputation. Last week, we talked about Samson, who was a guy who really just couldn't keep his hands off the ladies. Um, so all these people failed so miserably, and yet they were used by God. Today's story about David is no different. But before we go into the story of David's defeat, I thought it would, I thought it would help everyone out. So we're going to take the story in three parts this morning. We're going to talk about the compromise, the cover-up, and then the consequences of David's actions. But we need to know a few characters along the way if we want to keep track of what's happening in the story. So um, I want to take a moment to learn on the characters, if that's okay, because sometimes it's really hard to keep a story straight if we don't know all the people involved, am I right? Um, it's like, have you ever read a really, really long novel? And um, it's probably something Russian, or maybe it was French or British that was translated to English. And, and I've read one, and let me tell you, it is really hard to keep characters straight, especially when they're only mentioned once every hundred or so pages, and they all have weird foreign names that all sound exactly alike. So I'm helping you out. Here is a list of all the characters in the tale of the Compromised King. First, uh, we have the Compromised King himself. Can we throw that up? Uh, yeah, perfect. Tracing, you are the man. So first we have the compromised king himself. His name is King David. Uh, he is a man that has been called a man who is after God's own heart. He is probably the most famous king in Israel's history. There's, a, there's even a star named after him. People love him. He is the brooding man that killed Goliath, and he's also the kind-hearted softy of a shepherd boy who wrote the majority of the Psalms. So he's basically like a dreamboat. And so next we have the bathing Bathsheba, and, and you might be able to infer how she and David met. Uh, she was a hottie, David noticed, and uh, I don't want to share too much more uh, or else I'll spoil the story. And then next we have Uriah, the mighty Hittite. Um, he was one of David's top 40 soldiers that was part of a group called the Mighty Men. And it's basically like, think of the Mighty Ducks growing up, 
and then uh, killing people for a living. That's uh, pretty much what the mighty men were. Um, so they were crazy. They're definitely not guys you want to mess with or meet in a dark alley. And um, ironically enough, and this is a very important part of the story, Uriah the Mighty Hittite is married to the lovely bathing Bathsheba. And lastly, we have Nathan the naysaying prophet and just doing my job, Joab. And so don't be fooled by the descriptor of Nathan. Uh, Nathan is the guy that gets to bring the hammer down on the story, and it's great. He's essentially the only hero uh, that we'll read about. And then Joab, well, you know, Joab is, uh, is just following the orders of his king. He's, he's merely a pawn in a larger story, and, and he's doing what is told kind of to save his own skin. So those are the characters you need to know. I hope you're writing notes, remembering them, putting them in your brain. I gave you little phrases to help remember them and everything. And, um, and those are their roles, and we'll see how they fall into place. And uh, if you guys want to open uh, to 2 Samuel 11, we'll dive into the story there. But before we get into the story itself, can we just take a moment and can we pray and ask God to be with us and challenge us this morning? Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Jesus, we just thank you. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. And we thank you for everything you're already doing today, from worship to baby dedication to praying for our missions team. And now we pray um, that you would challenge us, that you would inspire us, that you know, every, um, every word that is spoken, everything that we learn is, a, is another reason to love you, is another reason to be challenged, to be better uh, followers of you. And I just pray that as we, you know, hear this message this morning, that people won't look to the left or to the right, but that you will uh, stare into people's souls and that this would be um, a challenge, that no person would leave today um, being the same person that they were when they walked in, that you will be a life-changing God. And so we uh, surrender the service to you. We surrender our hearts to you to do what you want. And we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. Everyone said, amen. Awesome. So the story begins in 2 Samuel. It's in chapter 11, and we'll start in verse 1. And so this is how it begins. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Reba, but David remained in Jerusalem. And so we'll stop there right now. A part one of our story, like I said, is called the Compromise. And it says, at a time when kings went off to war, instead, David remained home. David was probably in his 50s at this point in his life, um, but David had been a warrior essentially his whole life. Since a young teenager, David was known as a man not to be reckoned with. I mean, he was the leader of the mighty men. Uh, he killed a giant with just a sling and a stone. Before he was named king, there was even a song about him that said he killed tens of thousands of men, of soldiers, of people who fought for a living. But now at this point in his life, in his 50s, when he was supposed to go to war, David instead chose to stay home. And we don't know why he stayed. Maybe he felt like he was getting old. Maybe he had some war injuries. Or, or maybe he felt like um, his roles were too important at home to leave and go off to war. Or maybe he thought, man, I'm doing such a great job delegating. Uh, but David wasn't where he was supposed to be. And that was the first fault that led to David's compromise. And how often do we end up being in the wrong place at the wrong time? Um, and this story starts it's by saying that at a time when kings would go off to war, David instead stayed. 
But what else could we say that about? Are there moments in our lives when we know we should be doing one thing, but instead we're doing another? At a time when dads go off to their kids' sporting events, you instead are working overtime for a job that you hate. Um, at a time when you should be paying off debt, you are instead financing another car to live up to a lifestyle to impress people that you really don't even care about. Or at a time when you should be loving your kids, you are instead telling them that they amount to nothing and you're living your failed dreams through them. At a time when you should be serving in church and helping out in your community, you instead are sitting on the sidelines and complaining. But that's no one here, right? No? No? No, no show of hands here? The crazy thing, it, that's crazy about compromise. It makes its way into our lives without us even noticing. It starts with one small thing, wrong place, wrong time. And then in a moment, we have gone further than we ever thought we would go. Well, let's continue the story in 2 Samuel. It says that one evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam. And this guy wanted to make sure David knew that she was the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. And so I used to lead worship, uh, crazy enough, at a church that was around the corner from where they filmed the TV show Maury. And when I hear Bathsheba's only line in this whole thing, I am pregnant, I can't help but hear Maury say right after that in my head, and David, you are the father. Can you guys say that with me? David, you are the father. One more time. David, you are the father. Bathsheba has kind of gotten a bad rap from people um, who have preached or have talked about this story, but I honestly, I feel really bad for her. And some will say, oh, she must have known David was watching. Who goes and bathes on the roof of their house when there's other houses surrounding them? And I'll tell you who, it's someone who thought that all the men were off fighting a war. All the men in the area, all the men except David were off keeping them safe. And I'm guessing Bathsheba didn't think twice about bathing on her roof. Who was there to see her? Apparently, the only guy who was in the whole city. And he was the only guy that had the power to take advantage of her. And this isn't necessarily a story about sexual temptation, uh, though that's definitely important. And it isn't quite a story about adultery either, though that's what happens. Um, it's really a story about compromise, and it's a story about someone who took advantage of the power that God had given him. And everything that happens after this moment is an example of that. David was given influence for good. Instead, he used it for his own selfish desires. I know all of us are leaders, whether that leadership title is pastor or boss or maybe mom or dad or big brother or sister. Uh, we all have people whom God placed in our care. And, and if you have a guinea pig, you are the caretaker, and you're the leader of that guinea pig. Um, so, you know, make sure you take care of that guinea pig or your pet dog or, you know, your employees or your kids. And some of you may be wondering, but Bobby, that doesn't really answer why David did what he did. 
When David asked about Bathsheba, I'm pretty sure he knew she was married. But why did David give in to temptation and compromise all he had? A lot of us may be curious as to why David did this. Some of you, though, you might feel like you have the answer. You know, it's, it's you know, man plus naked woman equals mistakes, right? You know, man, naked woman, mistakes. It seems, it seems somewhat accurate, but, but why do we make compromises? Besides being at the wrong place at the wrong time, why do we all do stupid things? No one ever thinks when they get married that, that one day they'll cheat on their spouse. So how, how do they get to that point? And so I wrote a small list of reasons why we might make compromises. It's not exhaustive by any means, but it helps us to get into the mind of David and maybe into our own minds as well. And sometimes compromises, they happen, uh, first of all, because of entitlement. This one's pretty common amongst teenagers today. It's that idea like, I deserve to be happy. Um, not at the expense of God and others, you don't. So, so sometimes we feel like we deserve to bend the rules. And, and the next is close to it. It's envy. You know, why do they get away with everything and I, don't, I can't do anything? Or maybe, you know, you've cheated on your diet before. Or maybe, you know, it's uh, every day uh, is a cheat day. <laughs> um, you know, um, that's what happens whenever we make excuses. Um, you know, just, oh, you know, it's just one cheat day. It's just, you know, one thing. Uh, sometimes we make excuses like, oh, it's only sex. Everyone's doing it. What's the big deal? Um, and then the last one that's pretty common, it's enticement. Um, it's that idea that, you know, oh, man, I just, I just couldn't help myself. It's an act of passion, you know. Man plus naked woman means mistakes will fall. And so we're all prone to compromise because all of us struggle with entitlement and envy and, and we all make excuses and are, and are enticed every now and then. Most likely, all of us will fail at one point or another. We'll, we'll make compromises, but hopefully when that happens, it won't be as devastating as when it happened to King David and hopefully we'll own up to it because that's one thing that David didn't do. David heard, you know, those words from Mori, I mean Bathsheba, and that dude went into panic mode. David's first sin might have been an act of passion. He may have just given in to temptation in a moment of weakness. But what follows, what follows is deliberate. It was intentional. And it was disgraceful. This leads us into part two of our story. It's the cover-up. That David sees, you know, naked woman. David sleeps with woman. Woman gets pregnant. So what does David do? He tries to do whatever he can do to make it seem like he is not the father. You know, there's no polygraph there. There's no daytime talk show for him to get called into. So what is he going to do? He pulls Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, from war. Brilliant, right? You know, Uriah has been away for months, probably. And not only that, he hasn't been around any women in that time. He's been around a bunch of gross, smelly dudes. I imagine, you know, like those cartoon squiggly smell lines coming off of them. I, I imagine it wouldn't take too much coercion to get Uriah to sleep with his wife. Well, think again. Apparently, it was a common practice in Israel that while the country was at war, people, they just wouldn't have sex. And, and maybe it's because if they were sieged, it would be a lot harder to evacuate if there were a bunch of, like, pregnant woman, women trying to run around. 
And, and maybe it was an act of solidarity that, you know, that, that war and love, it couldn't coexist. And so if men were at war, it wouldn't be right for those who are left behind to take advantage of those luxuries of freedom. Um, but my thought is if you tell an army of men that no one could have sex until the battle or the war was over, well, um, I mean, just watch how quickly wars would end. I mean, world peace wouldn't just be something that they would say at Miss America. Like, it would be, like, done in an instant. And so David tries to get Uriah to come home and sleep with his wife. Um, but the plan fails. And listen, listen to what Uriah says to David about it in 2 Samuel 11. Um, in verse 11, he says, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my commander Joab and the Lord's men are camped in open country. How can I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, King David, I will not do such a thing. So now the noose, it begins to tighten around David's neck. I mean, you can only cover up a pregnancy for so long before people start suspecting things are a little awry. And so David decides to be the best king in the world. And uh, he offers to host Uriah at his palace. He plays host to the man whose wife he just impregnated. And so, so to Uriah, this is great. But from our perspective, knowing all that's happening behind the scenes, it's sickening. So David brings Uriah over to his palace, and the goal is to get him as hammered as possible. Take away his self-control by any means necessary. So David has now slept with a man's wife, and now he's getting that man drunk to cover it up. But lo and behold, Uriah drunk proved to be a better man than David sober. Did you get that? Uriah drunk proved to be a better man than David sober. So now David is panicking. The truth is about to come to light. This shepherd boy made king probably feels like he's about to lose everything. And if you remember, David, he grew up as a poor shepherd boy. He was the youngest of his brothers. He essentially had a story that went from rags to riches, but now in his old age, he is afraid of the height from which he might fall. I think we all face this dilemma when we fall short. And when we have a little to lose, it's really easy to own up to our compromises. But when we have a lot to lose, when our marriage is on the line, when bankruptcy is staring us in the face, when our superhero capes are about to fall off in the eyes of our children, and when we lose our jobs, might seem like it would be a lot easier to cover up the truth with a pack of lies. You know, because a cover-up, it just isn't one lie. It's, it's a whole list of lies. It's like, you know, when you were a teenager and you would call your parents and you would tell them you were going over to a friend's house, but really you were going to a party or maybe you were going to a friend's house. You didn't just lie about where you were going. Afterwards, you lied about what you did. And maybe along the way, you might have even called to check up. Maybe you lied then, too. It reminds me of a famous line about sin. It says that sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. 
So now David, he realizes he can't cover up this compromise by getting Uriah to sleep with Bathsheba. So what does he do? Let's take another look at the story of what happens next. It says that in the morning when David wrote a letter to Joab, and what did he do? He sent it with Uriah. And in it he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah in a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Uriah ended up carrying his own death sentence without realizing it. And even more so, if he just would have slept with his wife, he probably wouldn't have died. David now not only slept with the man's wife, but he put Uriah to death and he got killed. Um, and he killed others in the process. So let's remember that sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. I'm sure when David looked out over his kingdom and he saw bathing Bathsheba for the first time, he didn't think that just a couple months later he would be plotting her husband's death. There isn't any evidence either that that Bathsheba knew of David's plan. But I'm guessing she had an idea what happened when she heard that her husband had died. And she was devastated. Now she's pregnant and she's a widow. You can imagine how she must have felt. So it says in verse 27, next in the story, it says, After a time of mourning was over, David had Bathsheba brought to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done had displeased the Lord. Bathsheba probably had no other choice for, for her own good and the, the good of her child. Marrying the king seemed like it was probably the best scenario at this point for them. And David, David thought he had gotten away with everything. Really, the only people who knew about what had happened were him, Bathsheba, and, and maybe Joab. But David, David forgot about someone. He forgot about God. And God knew everything that had happened. And God was not pleased. This leads to the next part of the story. We learned about David's compromise. We saw his heinous cover-up. But now we'll see he'll soon have to face the consequences. It's like what the Bible says, your sins will find you out. David thought he had gotten away with everything. But God was sending someone to call him out on everything he did. And earlier, I called this man Nathan, the naysaying prophet. And I only call him naysaying because God uses Nathan to oppose David's actions. But Nathan is really the only person in this story who isn't at fault for anything. And sometimes God will use a prophet like Nathan to call us out on our compromises. Sometimes you'll have a husband or wife come home early from work. Or, or sometimes he'll use your internet search history to call out your compromises or, or other times, and I know this uh, from personal experience, that God will use the police or, or a person in authority. God may be even using me this morning. In that case, I hope you're listening to what he's trying to say. Like I mentioned earlier, David, uh, before he was the king of Israel, he was a lonely, uh, lowly shepherd in his father's field. 
So instead of Nathan just outright accusing David and risking getting killed himself, Nathan told a parable about a poor shepherd and his beloved sheep. So Nathan began his story by sharing that there were two men, one rich, one poor. The rich man had all he could have ever wanted, fame and fortune and all the best livestock and produce. And the poor man, he had, he had hardly anything except for a lonely lamb that he treated like one of his own. This lamb was his pet. It was like a child to him. He loved the lamb more than anything. But when the rich man had a traveler come and stay with him, none of his livestock were good enough. So he took the poor man's lamb. And so after hearing this story, I'm sure David's heartstrings were tugged. You know, I heard David played a secret chord and it pleased the Lord, but this wasn't it. His heartstrings were being tugged because God knew exactly how to make him angry. God knew what it was, uh, David knew what it was like to have a sheep that he raised from birth and took care of every step of the way. And I'm sure for David, it would be easy to hand out this punishment. So listen to how David responds in 2 Samuel chapter 12. It says that David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. You are that man. David, you are the father. David, you are this heartless man who took advantage of the less fortunate. You are the one who never thought twice about the true cost and consequences of your compromise. I can't imagine how David responded. I mean, I, I can maybe imagine, but I wouldn't do it justice. I, I can imagine his eyes widening and, it, and his jaw dropping. I'm sure his heart sank in his chest. He was now found out. He now had to face himself and what he'd done. And David, David's response, it, it even reflects this, this horror. All he could say at first, all, all his words are in the scriptures. It says, I... I, I, I have sinned against the Lord. What he would say later is what we read at the beginning of this message. You know, our lovely Valentine to God. It says, you know, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David knew that he had failed. David knew that he would have to face the consequences soon enough. And boy, were they extensive. The first thing that David lost was his reputation. His legacy has now been tarnished. This story is now in the history books, and any of us can read it in 2 Samuel. And David also ended up losing the son that he had that was born from this compromise. And, and David's, David's compromise, they just didn't end with him. They seeped into the rest of his family. That just a few chapters after this story, we'll read how one of David's sons overthrows his father, his son, Abs or his son Absalom. And then Absalom sleeps with all of his father's mistresses on the top of the palace. 
which is the same roof where David first saw Bathsheba. I know what you might be thinking, man, this sounds harsh. Like, I thought God was gracious and forgiving. He is. But we still have to pay earthly consequences for our actions. Regardless of whether or not we're forgiven, there may be relationships that are broken. There may be addictions we have to overcome. There may be fines or jail time we still have to face. But trust me when I say this, despite David's failures, God remained faithful. God made a promise to David. It's one of the major promises uh, that's written in the Old Testament. And when God makes these promises with people, they were a big deal. And, And theologians, they call these promises covenants. And the Davidic covenant, it's written in 2 Samuel chapter 7. It's just a couple chapters before David's failure. And this is God's promise to David. It says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. David ended up actually having another son to Bathsheba, and, and he ended up being the next king of Israel, a king named Solomon. Solomon was known as one of the wisest men, one of the wisest kings who have ever lived. Solomon built the first temple in Jerusalem. Solomon turned the Israelites, not just from a country, but he turned them into a dynasty. But that isn't how God remained faithful. David's line just didn't end with Solomon. David's line went through generations all the way to a baby who laid in a manger, a child born of a virgin, sent to deliver us from our sins. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to David, the promise that his kingdom would reign forever. The kingdom of God is still reigning today through the life and body of the church. We are followers of the one true king. Jesus is the king of the world. He's alive. He's the ruler of our hearts. And despite our failures, God has remained faithful to us as well. He's offered us forgiveness and eternal life through Jesus. So we talked today about the tale of a compromised king. But I want to share with you one more story. And it is called The Tale of a Conquering King. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up this morning. Before David was ever king of Israel, like I said, he was a young shepherd boy, no older than 15 or 16. He was visiting his brothers during a time of war, and he looked out on the battlefield, and he saw a giant opposing the Israelite army. This giant was calling the army out. He was the opposition's best warrior, and he was challenging the Israelites' best fighter, to a one-on-one fight to the death. And the winner wins the entire war. You know, why subject all these men to bloodshed when one man could act as a representative for his country? And so all the men, they cowered in fear. All of them were scared to death of this man who I could only imagine was the size of a freight train. But David, David stood up as a representative for his country. He stood up for his God, and he single-handedly defeated the giant. 
This is the David many of us remember. We hear this story today, and we see ourselves as that young David, a David before his compromise, before his personal defeat. We see the giants in our lives, our sins, our temptations, our complacency, our shortfalls. And we think if we, if we just have enough faith, we can defeat those giants. We can overcome our compromises. But David, David couldn't even defeat the real giant in his personal life. He could defeat warriors of all sizes, but he always fell to defeat when it came to the war that waged in his heart. You see, we have this giant in front of us, and his name is sin. His name is death. And we are all subject to his fury. And no matter how hard we try, we can't overcome him. And we're like the Israelite army, and we are cowering in fear because the power of sin is just too strong to bear. But, but we have a conquering king. We have a king who stood up to the giant of sin and death, and he defeated it with the blood that he shed on the cross. Our compromises, David's compromises, all that we have ever done or ever do is forgiven because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. He is the king of the world, and he is asking, all he is asking of you is to welcome him into your heart. So I want to ask you this morning, who rules David could defeat any giant. David could rule a whole country. But he was a terrible king when it came to his own heart. We saw what happened in this tale of a compromised king. When we rule our own hearts, it leads only to selfishness and defeat. The only way we can overcome our compromises is by surrendering all that we have to the king of kings. Lord of lords. So will you let Jesus rule your heart this morning? Will you let Jesus rule your life? Jesus is a king who is worthy of being praised. He is a king who is worthy to be followed. That he has won victory over every sin and every stronghold. That sin is defeated when Jesus is king. That death has no sting when Jesus is king, that sickness must leave when Jesus is king. So will you surrender this morning? Will you turn your compromises into victory? Will you give all that you are to the conquering king? We're going to go into one more song this morning. And will you just stand with me for a moment? Let's just close our eyes. Let's prepare our hearts for what God has in store for us today. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Lord, we surrender all that we are, all that we have. Like Pastor Ben said, we lay it at your feet today. All of our compromises, all of our cover-ups, we surrender to you. To your name. Make us clean, make us holy. Let's just take a moment and 
let's just search our hearts. talks about compromise and then you sing this song with that filter that God he doesn't just leave us high and dry the idea there's no perfect people allowed uh, I know it resonates with me this morning just a couple quick takeaways Bobby said God's graciousness is not an excuse to sin or to keep on sinning Also, in my notes here, don't stay in the compromise. you got to move beyond it. And this morning, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you're just living your life and uh, without the love and the protection of being bought with the blood of Jesus, uh, we want to give you the opportunity to surrender your heart to Jesus. And uh, we'll just simply... Bible says, for all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. There's none of us that are righteous, and we need a Savior. And if you're here this morning, you're saying, man, I need a Savior. Uh, I need Jesus to forgive me. I just Would you slip up your hand? I want to pray with you. It's the last week of our soft launch. Who is responding? Okay. Yep. A couple young men here. Anyone else? saying, that's me, I need Jesus to forgive me. Anyone else? Don't want to miss anybody. Okay. For the sake of the couple that are here uh, that raised their hand, let's, let's just pray this prayer. Would you all repeat this after me? Say, Dear Heavenly Father, Dear Heavenly Father please forgive me of my sins. Please forgive my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Do a work in my heart. I believe that you died on the cross. You died on the cross for me. For me. Come in. Come in and be my savior. Be my savior. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A couple of young men just gave their hearts to the Lord or came back to the Lord, and let's rejoice with with uh, the angels in heaven. Amen. Awesome. 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 How many times? Have you been caught in a compromise? Never thought you'd be you'd get there, but one lie after the next after the next, and all of a sudden you're heaped in sin. This morning, if you're in the midst of compromise, you need to draw a line in the sand and say, no more. Come clean, come out, and and uh, yes, there might be consequences. There probably will be consequences. But when your faith, when you when you commit or uh, confess your sins, God says He's faithful and He's just to forgive you, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He cleans you up and He puts you on a path again, so He can use you again. That's the story of the Bible. All these stories, one after the next, after the next. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, "Man, I'm caught up in it." compromise. The Lord, he wants, 
you to make the move to confess come clean and then live in freedom I want to pray for those that that resonates with Lord we know that we live in a sin filled world and there are chances chances are there are many here that are living a life even as a Christian but there's things compromises and Lord we just draw a line in the sand say no more Lord help us to make the right choice to do the right thing to live for you no matter what God I pray that you would capture our hearts. And Lord, as we leave here in the next few moments, God, that you would go before us, behind us, and all around us, and that you would help us to live according to your principles. Thank you for your faithfulness and for your love. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, we haven't taken the chance to greet one another, so why don't you turn and greet someone as you leave. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Go in the grace of God. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.